2: afternoon bay area this is estate planning attorney bob bergman and uh, i'm coming to you live if uh, you're listening to this on november 5th of 2021 live if you're listening to this at some later time then um, you're listening to a rebroadcast but uh, in any event i wanted to welcome you to the show today and uh, hopefully we'll have a nice journey together for the next uh, 50 or 55 minutes or so, first thing I wanted to let everyone out there know that I am bringing back another one of my estate planning workshops. It will be held on Saturday morning, uh, December 4th. Yeah, December 4th, from 9 a.m. till about 10:30 a.m. at the latest. At the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue at Lee Avenue here in San Jose, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. It's a very short distance away from my office in Cambrian Park. You can register for this workshop. I've expanded the available registrations from 20 to 30. Uh, masks are required to attend. Because it is indoors, but there is plenty of room for people to spread out in the seminar room, even 30 people spreading out in the seminar room if you uh, feel that you need to do that. And uh, you can register either by going to eventbrite.com and uh, searching for Estate Planning Workshop on December 4th, or go to my website at lawbob.com. Click on the link to workshops and seminars and there you can read about the workshop and there is a button there that you can hit on that will take you to the appropriate place to register. You can register up to eight people uh, on one ticket. There is no charge for this workshop and uh, those who have attended the workshop earlier this year have been very happy that they came because I focus on reasons to do estate planning and take people through uh, an interactive exercise in the workshop, answering questions about various reasons to do estate planning so that people at the end have now pretty much defined what's important to them in the area of estate planning and the final result is usable. Um, should you decide that you want to actually book a consultation with me about estate planning, it's uh, it's a very useful uh, exercise. It helps you get focused, maybe on what what things are most important for you and your family. And uh, as I indicated, there's no charge for this workshop. And uh, it's not overly long. Sorry, I'm reaching for a little water here. A little dry today. Um, today I'm going to follow my usual format, and uh, and that would be in in uh, using uh, questions and comments from around the state of California. Basically, what I do is I pose legal situations that actual people are dealing with here in California. And then I give a little bit of discussion, a little bit of legal analysis, maybe even a little bit of suggestions as to what may be done or what might need to be done. My hope is that in listening to these questions and comments, that those of you out there will become better educated about estate planning, better educated about the issues that come up and also um, better educated so that you can actually when you're um when you are um thinking about this yourself that you you'll actually be able to um you'll actually be able to uh be better prepared for meeting with someone like me to talk about estate planning and what you may want and what you may need. So um I will also, I think as we're on the air here today, I will also open the show up to people calling in. If you'd like to call in and ask me a question on the air, it would be 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Feel free to call um, if you would like to actually ask me a question on the air. I've got my, uh, my engineer, Ken, standing by to take your call. And I'll be happy to let you know or help, let me know that you're on the line. And as soon as I get an opportunity, I'll switch over to answer your question for you. Okay, so let's start with some questions and comments. Here's one out of San Francisco. Uh, and this is one looks like it's from a couple of weeks ago. Says my dad's wife was not named as a beneficiary in his will as they kept their finances separate, but she was named as his executor. His car, not with her name not on the title, was designated to be inherited by his children as part of his estate. She drove the car regularly during the probate period, despite objections by the family, took it in for repairs twice which cost more than what the car is valued at. She then charged those repairs to the estate. She's not a U.S. citizen, did not own a car in the U.S. She did not drive the car for 10 years until he was sick and could not drive himself to medical appointments. Then she had to. Is driving a vehicle in probate considered acceptable behavior for an executor who does not and will not own the vehicle? And is it right that the estate will be charged for expenses that likely would not have been incurred if she were not driving the car? Okay. This person wants a gut check. I think the gut check is the executor, the, the uh, stepmother, it sounds like, had absolutely no right to drive a vehicle that was part of the estate. Her obligation is to make sure that the vehicle uh, is kept registered, that it's kept insured, and that it is safely uh, safely parked somewhere or secured in a garage or something similar, but driving it around, then incurring expenses, then having repairs, then charging the estate for those repairs, all completely out of line. If If these repairs were put in as expenses of the estate in a final petition, uh, as an heir, I would probably object to them on the basis that they were incurred by the executor who is misusing property of the estate. Uh, if the final petition has not been filed yet um, if if the person took money out of the estate to pay back for these repairs, that's not authorized either um, and they would probably going to have to account for that and may have to pay the money back to the estate if in fact, That is uh, what was done. Okay, let's see right here. Pull up. Yeah, okay. Um, Okay, here, uh, one more quick one before the first break today. How do I take ownership of a house if the owner and beneficiary trustee are no longer alive? I have the deed to the house. Well, I'd say good for you that you have the deed for the house. Um, When we come back after the break, I'll talk about what steps likely may need to be taken to take ownership of that house. So when we come back after the break, we'll continue on with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you on the other side.
1: This is plan your estate radio with San Jose estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back. Well, before the break, I was uh, dealing with a situation where someone wanted to know how they could take ownership of a house that the owner and beneficiary trustee are no longer alive. And the person said they had the deed to the house. Well, here's the deal. Here's, um, here's really the deal. Um, if the person has actually, uh, ha- has actually, um, it says there's a trust involved here, um, presumably the person that is uh, asking the question is a person that would actually be inheriting from the trust. Um, if they're not, the fact that they have the deed doesn't mean anything at all. Um, If there is no successor trustee named in the trust uh, and there's no provision in the trust to actually take action to have it um, uh, to have a new trustee take over because the uh, trustee who was in charge has passed away. Then unfortunately, uh, whoever the beneficiary is may very well have to petition the court in the county where um, where the trust is located in order to have a new trustee put in charge. Uh, and that's in order to take over and handle the property of the trust. So it could be a pretty simple solution. It could be a very complicated solution. It depends on what the trust says and whether there's a successor trustee actually named in there or not. Okay. Um Let's see. Uh, my mother's home has a reverse mortgage. Sadly, she has died. Um, can I sell her property with just a power of attorney? Well, the answer is uh, no, uh, because if the it says the only legal document is a power of attorney, it says I'll be homeless if I cannot sell my home. Um, well. Here's the problem right here. Uh, Mom should have done planning. Mom should have done some serious planning um, because if the property is in mom's name and it was not put into a trust before she died and there was no transfer on death deed that she executed before she died, the only way to sell that home would be to actually commence a probate. This happens to be in Los Angeles, sorry to hear that. To commence a probate in Los Angeles and then get authority from the probate court to actually sell the property. That could take several months. And then even then, selling the property doesn't mean you get to put the cash in your pocket, even if you are the only heir because it has to go through the probate process. This is one of the situations that I do see now and then where some good planning ahead of time would put this person in a situation where they're not worried about the house being sold because there's a reverse mortgage and ending up being homeless. Um, Very bad situation, uh, but they really need to get assistance from a probate attorney immediately and get the probate started to get authority to at least sell the property and uh, stop a reverse mortgage from foreclosing on the property. It's said that the mother died a year ago. This is far too long to be messing around and not doing anything. So hopefully, this person uh, will act. And will actually get assistance from someone who can help them and get the probate commenced. Okay, how do you unfreeze a trust account due to not having an employee identification number? The IRS is lagging and my girlfriend's family is suffering. Okay, it says my girlfriend's mother, who's the trustee of an irrevocable trust fund, my girlfriend is a beneficiary of the trust. The account is frozen now for months because they cannot obtain the EIN number from the IRS. What can they do? Well, I'll start first by saying that the fastest way to obtain an EIN, employee identification number, from the IRS is to apply online. If you fill out the form and mail it to the IRS, Lord only knows how long it will take for them to process that and issue an EIN and mail it back in the mail That that is so 20 years ago to do that instead you would apply online you fill out the form online you submit the form and then almost immediately you get an EIN issued by the IRS you could take that EIN you can print it out and and you can immediately start using it to open bank accounts and, and handle things. So that's what I would tell this person if they've been waiting months and months for the IRS to do something. The IRS is, is always backed up with all kinds of things. That's why using their electronic system online makes so much more sense. And uh, if you've never done that or you need to do that, Uh, Search for form SS4 at the IRS website um, and then follow the instructions there. I will warn, though, that the online instructions um, may actually have you answering things incorrectly. I would suggest if you're in a situation like this that you contact a CPA or an estate planning attorney to assist you in actually getting the tax ID number, the employee identification number, also the tax ID number. Same thing, and uh, in order to to get that set up properly. Okay, here's someone says, uh, I understand I can fill out a deed transfer and move my mortgaged property into a re- an irrevocable trust for my son, with my other son as trustee. Uh, this way, it can be protected against creditors. And even the mortgage company can't touch it, since it's not mine. I'm told there's nothing illegal about this, and I don't need to provide mortgage papers to the county clerk. And once it's done, there's nothing they can do. Let me unpack all the things that are wrong with this understanding. First and foremost, if you transferred real estate into an irrevocable trust, Um, that's going to trigger a 100% reassessment of the property taxes right then and there. Uh, If you've owned it a long time, that could mean a heck of a lot more taxes every year. Second thing is, transferring it into an irrevocable trust might protect it from some creditors, but it's not going to protect it from the mortgage company because the mortgage company has a security interest in the property. So that means the mortgage company can touch the property if the mortgage payments are not made. So I don't know where the person got this notion that they could do this and somehow protect everything, but it's just not true. So we're coming up on the mid-show break here. When we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. Until then... This is your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. And I'll see you on the other side of the break for the bottom of the hour.
1: Now back to plan your estate radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back. Uh, We're going to continue now with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And, um, I'm going to move on with one out of San Francisco, California. And someone said uh, or asked the question, should, <clears throat> should your special needs trust attorney work in the same county as you reside? Um, well, I don't know that it really matters. It's more that you want someone that is competent uh, at, uh, at doing that kind of drafting, that kind of legal work as an estate planner. Whether they live in your county or not, that might be important for being able to go visit them in person uh, if you need to do that. But um, even if you're in the very next county over, it kind of depends on where you live, depends on where they live as well. Um, I, I mean, um I, I have done... Um, special needs work for clients who have been from uh, all over the place. So uh, not just Santa Clara County, but from adjacent counties. Uh, So I don't know that it's really that much of an issue. I think more the issue is, uh, is the person competent to assist you with that planning uh, and advise you? Okay, here's an interesting one here. Should a husband and wife as joint tenants on a title deed use one transfer on death deed or should they file one each? It's an excellent question. I I don't really use transfer on death deeds in my practice. Um, I think it it makes more sense for people to put property into a trust and have the trust handle the ultimate distribution. Uh, The reason being that if you name a beneficiary, on a transfer on death deed and something happens to the beneficiary, then uh, you actually have not solved the problem of avoiding probate uh, because you can't put an alternate beneficiary on a transfer on death deed, whereas you can put an alternate beneficiary uh, if you have a trust set up. Um, In a case like this, I don't know that... um, that with a joint tenancy deed, you could put a transfer-on-death beneficiary designation. It kind of actually doesn't make sense in many ways because with a joint tenancy deed, when the first joint tenant dies, the other joint tenant now owns 100% of the property, and presumably that would also get rid of any transfer-on-death designation because transfer-on-death... With a joint tenancy deed actually is directly contradictory. Um, yeah, I don't think you can do a transfer on death deed that transfers on the death of the last joint tenant. That kind of actually logically doesn't make any sense at all. I will tell you, honestly, I have not looked into that. I would never even consider doing something like that. Uh, it's an excellent question. I think my answer is likely correct but don't write any checks based on my answer, okay? Okay, here out of Los Angeles. Who has the right to choose an executor or personal representative of an estate if the named executor cannot serve because of incapacity? It says, my mother's will names only one executor no longer capable of serving or choosing a successor. My cousin and I are beneficiaries. My mother's sister wants to choose herself. I would like my father. That's my mother's ex-husband. My cousin wants himself. I know there's a priority order in who's eligible to be executor or personal rep, but does that same order apply to who has the right to choose? Um, yes, it does. And I think what you would find is that the person that has the authority to serve um, is uh, is the um, would be you as the child, and I think you're you would have the right uh, as the child to indicate who you would like to handle things handle the estate for you and uh, and you would have that person petition the court. With you as the sole heir consenting to and supporting them being the personal representative uh, or uh, executor of your mother's estate. At least that's what I would do. Uh, I don't think that there would be, it would be reasonable to say that some other family member can just step in and say, oh, it's me. Uh, No, because they don't have priority to serve. I don't believe you also have priority to appoint Um, whoever. If the person is an adult, the adult is an adult child, they get to decide who they want to handle the estate. I think that's pretty straightforward. Okay. I'm the surviving spouse of my revocable living trust. And this appears to be a trust that was established with uh, this person's wife. My wife and I named our adult children as beneficiaries. May I add my adult siblings for smaller benefits? May I also restrict benefits to a special needs child upon his receiving benefits from a non-supporting birth mother? His wife divorced him after nine years of not providing any support in a marriage. Okay. The short answer is... If the joint revocable trust just left everything outright to this person rather than creating an irrevocable trust with the deceased wife's share of property, what I've called in the past an A-B marital trust, then that means it's likely a fully revocable trust, which means that now it's the surviving spouse's own revocable living trust and that person could make changes to the trust, including, including his siblings for some benefits and also setting up special restrictions for a special needs child, um, that, um, which could be a child or grandchild if he wants to. So he would be able to make changes assuming that it is in fact now a fully revocable living trust just in his name. And there was no requirement that it be divided in any way when his wife died. Here's something, um, here's something that I will tell you does cause a tremendous amount of uh, confusion. And this actually comes out of San Jose. Um, what does closed slash active mean in a probate court case? says, my family has an estate settlement from my grandparents, but there's still a house left to sell on the trust. Could that be why the status is closed slash active? What are some other reasons it would be considered closed and active at the same time? Thank you. I will tell you, I asked this question once um, of uh, a clerk uh, at the court and... There's really no clear answer just what that means. At least that's the the best that I could get from that. Um, it, it It means that that the case itself is, is ended, but it's still an active case, presumably until a a final petition for discharge of the executor of the will or the estate is filed with the the clerk and then presumably it would change to just closed. Um, But I would say don't even focus on that. If there's there's a house left to sell from a trust, that would have literally nothing to do with a probate case filed in the court. Uh, That is by definition outside of probate And it would be uh, not an issue at all. So, uh, let's see, moving on. Okay, my sister-in-law is an Australian citizen. Can she be assigned as the guardian for my son, who's two years old, if my wife and I, who are both U.S. citizens, were to pass away? I would like her to become his mom, and she's totally fine with that but she's an Australian citizen and lives in Australia. Well, here's the deal. You could name the sister-in-law as the guardian for your child. The court here can appoint her as the guardian for your child. Presumably your child's a U.S. citizen, um, but the fact is what would happen is the court here require the sister-in-law to go through the process to be appointed as guardian in Australian courts and then bring all of that paperwork to the court here in the United States to present to the court in order to have the court authorize the child to be released to the aunt the sister-in-law in order to be physically taken back to Australia where there's already a guardianship established. This is a pretty long process and my advice to a couple like this would be to have some local people named at least as guardians to serve until such time as the sister-in-law can qualify through the process. Uh, I do this kind of thing. I do have clients that are in that situation um, that they want to name people that are out of country as guardians. And uh, but you do have the problem of what happens with the child in the downtime. Between the parent passing away and the uh, non-citizen, non-resident guardian actually being able to take charge of the child and take them back to that home country. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. I hope you've learned some things so far. And I just want to uh, say uh, stay tuned. We have one more segment today. And then we go into the weekend. So this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I'll meet you after the break for the last segment.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning, trust, and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back. Okay. Oh, this is an interesting one out of uh, California City, California. It says, uh, A sibling wants to take all the money of a portion of assets left by deceased parents. Can the other sibling sue to get their share? So here's the person that said, my parents are deceased. One of my siblings is named on the deed. But a parent did not specify if that sibling is supposed to get all the money. Can other siblings sue to get their fair share? Well, it's a simple question, but could be an extremely complicated answer. Just on the surface of it, if John and Mary Smith put their son James on the title, um, and say if they put James on the title as joint tenants, And then mom and dad died, John and Jane died. James owns the property. That's just what they did. Um, Saying that someone's on the title doesn't necessarily mean that they're 100% owners. um, But you really have to look and say, why is this sibling's name on the deed of mom and dad's property in the first place? Uh, If mom and dad put the person there, It may have been because they wanted them to have the property. Maybe that sibling was taking care of mom and dad for a number of years uh, while everyone else in the family was going about their lives and just relying on that sibling to do all of the work taking care of mom and dad. There's no real way to know from this, just uh, the circumstances, but uh, whether or not the other siblings... Have a right to a quote fair share would have everything to do with the contact of uh, conduct of the sibling in reference to mom and dad. Uh, did he uh, cheat them in some way? Did he induce them to put his or her name uh, on on the title to the property? There's a lot of things here, a lot more questions that uh, that as an attorney I would need to ask about how did the person get on the title how long ago was it um was there something else at work there uh what were the circumstances why did they end up on the title because it's not a usual thing for parents to put a child on the actual title of real estate um so that maybe kind of briefly or vaguely answers those uh situations right there but again it's not really obvious just from the question, what could be there? Okay. All right. I'm going to skip that one because it's too convoluted. Can a 17-year-old in California be designated as a healthcare proxy and agent on a durable power of attorney? Short answer, no. uh, Because a 17-year-old is not an adult under the law and cannot um, make those decisions unless that 17-year-old has been found to be an emancipated minor by a court. Uh, Very uncommon. Uh, You usually see emancipated minors, that's people under the age of 18, who get legal adult status to handle their own affairs, their own business affairs and finances, Uh, You'll see that with some uh, actors like uh, Drew Barrymore, I think also Alicia Silverstone. But in a situation like this, there's really no way to name someone who is not of legal age to speak on your behalf. Um, This person might be better served finding a really good friend or couple of friends that would act for them. And, and ask that they talk with the son and maybe name the son in those documents that says the son takes over at age 18 years of age so that whoever's handling things for, for the next year or so would step down at that time. That would be what I would suggest. Okay. Okay, how can I find out if I'm a beneficiary on a living trust? When my sister passed away, I found some wrongdoing from her husband. When my sister passed away, I found out accidentally my brother-in-law cashed bonds that were written in my sister's and my name. I'm wondering if there's more out there that I don't know about. He had power of attorney. Okay, I don't know how he cashed bonds, That had this person's name on them um, unless he forged the name so uh, I don't know there there's no real way I am aware of that you can just kind of find out if the person had a trust or or where that money went or anything like that so um, sometimes things happen and there's really nothing else that you can do okay So we're winding up our show for today. I wanted to remind you all, I do have an estate planning workshop coming up on December 4th. You can go to my website at lawbob.com, click on the link for workshops and seminars, and then click on register here or register now to register for that workshop. I think you'll uh, find it's well worth spending a little bit of time on a Saturday morning to do that. So until next time, This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I hope you have a great weekend, Bay Area. Goodbye.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B lawbob.com or call his office in San Jose 408-247-0444 that's 408-247-0444 and be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman